0: Where we left off and the goal is today is to get through all of chapter six today. Now, <clears throat> there is a real tie between the end of chapter five and chapter six. As you know, when the Bible was written, or I should say, the scriptures were given by God, they were a letter. So when Paul, God gave the words to Paul to write, and the scribe wrote them. It was a letter. There was no chapters and verses. It was a letter. Later on, (coughs) for the purposes of reference, chapters were added. And then later on after that, then verses were added to those chapters. So it was just for our purpose of referencing, because back then they took the letter and they just read the letter. Now people study the scriptures and to share the scriptures and want to reference the scriptures. You don't have to sit there and say, oh, it's somewhere on about you know, 75% down the scroll. And somewhere in the middle, you'll find what I'm re- referring to. So, um, But those who put the chapter and verse divisions here in 2 Corinthians... You know, could have probably done a little bit better job in the fact that uh, I probably wouldn't have broke it there at the end of chapter 5 on verse 21, but actually at verse 2 of chapter 6. So, but it still ties in, and, and it's a great thing of how this continuation goes here. And it says here in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, when then, or we then, as workers together with him, capital H, Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul sees himself as a co-worker with Jesus Christ. He's trying to get across to these believers in Corinth that as a believer, you are co-workers with Jesus Christ and that mission. And in that, they are partners just like Paul is saying we are partners with Jesus, we too today are partners with Jesus Christ doing what he would like to do for his purpose and glory. Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation, if you remember, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. So we have got a mission. There's no question. As Once you're saved, what do I do with this life of mine? I don't have a purpose. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. You have been given a purpose, and that is the purpose and the ministry of reconciliation. Going out there and sharing the good news that you, man, woman, can be reconciled with God Almighty. To have a personal relationship with God Almighty, and you can do that. Not a religion, but a relationship. And that is what our whole purpose of waking up every day is to make sure our children know this, that our grandchildren know this, until they come to the age where they are able to understand and to receive. That is our purpose, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunties and uncles. That is what we are to do to everyone, to the right or to the left, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. That is by the power of the Holy Spirit working through your life to go out there and share the good news, to get that ministry of reconciliation, and it will take all forms in how God will use you through your personality to make that happen. But he says he's given you a mission, a ministry, and he is guaranteed he will equip you and empower you to do that work if you will let him. He's going to be faithful. there's no question in our minds he is faithful but will we be faithful found faithful in doing the mission a ministry of reconciliation because Paul also said in chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, since Paul is among the ambassadors for Christ, because we have the ministry of reconciliations, we are ambassadors for Christ. He works, we work, he, Paul, saying he works with Jesus as an ambassador, going out, representing him, and telling only what Christ has told him to say. Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That is a message of reconciliation that we can give out. What an amazing job we have in the fact that God trusts you and me to be a worker with him. That is amazing that us so unfaithful we can be that God would want to partner with us to do his work in this world. It isn't that God needed Paul or any of us to do his work, but he chose to use us. Instead, it is God wants us to be workers together with him for our good. He wants and he knows that he needs to, for our good, He needs to bring us into and allow us to just be partnered with Him so He can work through you and do a mighty work in you. And it's like that little boy getting a Christmas present from Dad and Mom. He gets that, uh, that toy uh, construction belt on and it has its own little hammer and a little screwdriver, a little nails, and he buckles it on, and Dad helps him buckle it on for the first time, and he's walking around so proud around and showing everybody in his little PJs that he's got his own little uh, construction belt here, and he's going to go with Dad on the construction crew, and he's going to help him build something. And the proud Dad says, come on, son, put your belt on, I've got my belt on, we're going to the garage, we're going to do some woodwork. And that little boy, just so proud, comes alongside his dad. And dad patiently brings his son to help build something he... Dad knows he's not equipped and ability to do yet. But he brings his son because he knows it's the right thing to do to prepare his son for greater things in the future. So he patiently comes along and encourages his son to do a work with his father in that garage. So our Heavenly Father says, I know you're not equipped yet. I'm going to equip you. You're not prepared. You don't have the tools or anything. But I have it all. I'm just going to bring you alongside with me. Do you notice? It's not you wanting to do something and ask God to come join you to get what you want done. It's for you and I to be partners and workers to help him get what well, He wants done. There is a difference, my people. There is a completely difference in that, my brother. The fact that so many times we say, I want to do this, and say, God, please help me get what I want. when I want it, where I want it, how much I want No, no. God says, I'm doing a work. Just recognize what I'm doing, and just come alongside me so I can show you how and what I'm going to do. And I'm going to bless you in the process, because you're going to come alongside me and partner with me. For those who are willing vessels to do that. That's what Paul is saying here. It's such a beautiful thing how God can do that. There is something good and important in work itself. So much so that God wants us to be workers together with him, not apart from him or at the last minute when you've really screwed up that job or you really screwed up something, is that God come in now and rescue me from this. God is saying, I am moving. You'll see my spirit move. You just come alongside me and watch what we're going to do together. God wants us to be workers together with him. Paul made it very clear. He obviously doesn't want us to be some kind of pew potatoes or couch potatoes or some sluggard or some sit back and watch everyone else get it done so I can sit back and just enjoy the fruits of the labors from everyone else. That is not what God wants you to do as a believer. He wants you to get up and move and move with him wherever the direction he's going in the purpose of the ministry. Paul never said again, that God works together with us. It isn't our work that God helps us with. It is his work that he asks us to do together with him. So, again, it's so important that we distinguish and we spend time in prayer asking, God, what is it that you're doing? Reveal it to me. Show me what you have for me that you're doing and I want to come alongside and I have that assurance that you're with me in doing that work. He's called you to be a mother guaranteed that he's given you that child he's going to equip you he's going to do a work in that child it's his child you as a mother come alongside him in doing the work in that child's life. It's his child that he's given a tremendous ministry for you women to raise fathers it's his child you're held responsible in that household to raise that child up according to the ways of the lord you have tremendous responsibility but it's his work he's just asking you to come and partner with him in the life of that child he has given you and that takes a lot of pressure off when you know it's his work he's doing we just have to come and not fight against God, but come along with God and do that work with Him. Amen? Are you with me? You, you can, can you hear me? Am I loud enough? Okay. Paul also says that he pleads, <coughs> pleads with you. Paul told... Us that God was pleading through the ministry of the apostles, if you remember, in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty. But now Paul will also plead with the Corinthian Christians, because he to plead is to beg, and, and Paul was begging these Christ, these Christians in Corinth that they they needed to understand the eternity on that's at stake here, and that they needed to adjust and to change and to understand God's ways, and that and understand that what they're doing is is really harming them and taking them a wrong direction that's ultimately going to destroy them. And so he was pleading to them, not the fact that they did receive the grace of God, but don't receive the grace of God in vain. He says to receive the grace of God in vain, the current Christians were doing things, once they received that grace of God, once they understood that Jesus Christ died for their sins, then they can forgive forgive their sins and, and the penalty of those sins Paul pleads with them not to take that position of being saved and to take that grace of God and do it in vain. Because what does it really mean to receive the grace of God in vain? It means to receive the goodness, receive the support, receive the the approval of God uh, for, uh, for your life, and yet to hinder the work of grace in one's life. To sit there and say, I want to be saved, I know I am saved, God has paid the penalty, Jesus went to the cross for my sins, but then to turn around and live a life that goes against the grace of God, goes against the word of God, and lives like the world, that's the grace of God in vain. You're being fooled, you're being deceived by your flesh or by by the enemy. And Paul is saying you cannot do that. It means to receive the favor of God and then to fail in what Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul understood, I've been saved. I, by the grace of God, I should have gone to hell. But by the grace of God, he changed me. I am been regenerated. I am been born again. And now my life is committed to him to follow him. That means when that happens, your natural reaction from a saved person is not to continue to live in the world like the world, but you now live for Christ. You just, you are now saved completely dying of self and living for him. That's what it means. Go out there and do the work that God is calling you to do to come in partnership with him like an ambassador and go out into this world, but not like live like in the world, but to go out and be a representative of Christ. According to 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul did not work as hard as he did. The grace of God would still be given to him. But in some measure, it would have been given in vain. Why? Because grace, by definition, is given freely. But how we receive grace will help determine how effective the grace of God is in our life. This is not about a being passive role as a child of God. It is an active role in the child of God. So that this grace of God that he has bestowed upon you is not in vain. Time is short, my people. God is coming back and the time is so short we cannot waste time or the energy and the resources that could be used for the purpose of reaching the lost and encouraging those in the faith to do the great works that God is moving and doing for them to partner with them to do. Grace isn't given because of any works that you've done in the past or or any present or even promised works. Yet it is given to encourage work. You've been saved by grace. It's a free gift I have given you, you've received. Now I want to encourage you, my sons and my daughters, to go out and partner with me to do the work we need to do today. It's encouragement from God. God doesn't want us to just receive his grace and then just sit around doing nothing because you've got this sense I'm saved, then I can just, I don't need to do anything else. I'll just go back and live the way I want to live. But Paul knew that God gave, gives his grace, and we work hard, and the work of God is, gets done. See, many Christians today struggle at this very point. Is God supposed to do it? Or am I supposed to do it? What's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. God does it, and we do it. Trust God, rely on God, and then get to work and work hard as you can. You don't, sit, wait, you don't sit around waiting for someone to you, you trust in God and the Holy Spirit is working in you to show you what to do. You get up and do it. You don't have to wait for someone to your left or right to ask you to do it. If you're empowered by God and you're listening to God and you're wanting to do whatever it takes to do with God, you know, there's, no, there's no box. It's not in my box. It's not, that's not my lane. If God has called you to do it, raise your hand. I think God's called me to wash the toilets. Praise the Lord. Join the other five people. Don't say, well, Corey, you didn't ask me if someone needs to clean the toilets. I don't know what God's called you to come alongside to go, do. tell me what he's telling you. It's sit and be still. What the Lord shows you, then write, just let us know. Come alongside, partner with someone who's already doing it. Help them. Just be obedient to what God's called you to do. Verse 2. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul quotes here from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. And Paul wants to give the Corinthian Christians a sense of urgency. God has an acceptable time for you and I and for them to work with his grace. And God has a day of salvation that will not last forever, is what Paul is saying here. This is a no time for Christian lies consumed by ease and by comfort and by some easy situation according to your plan. That is not what Paul is saying here. He's saying to these Corinthians, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and you've got to stop figuring out what works just for you and how only what works for you. And you've got to get up because the God is moving and you need to start working and doing what God's called you to do. And stop looking for the easy way out and what's comfortable. Because it won't be easy. It won't be comfortable. And of all people, Paul understood this. It wasn't easy for him to be stoned. It wasn't easy for him to be imprisoned. It wasn't easy for these things. But that is not what it's about. Paul is really saying here, hey, you guys got to wake up. Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day. Don't wait. Tomorrow, you're no guarantee. But why do people put off getting right with God? It's called procrastination. They think in their wisdom of their own minds that they have time to get right with God and to get rid of the things that are not pleasing of God out of their life when they get to a point where I'm ready to give it up. You're fooling yourself because you don't have no guarantee that you have that time. That's what Paul is saying. Today's the time. Stop procrastinating and getting your life right with Christ. Now is the day of salvation. God has appointed a time for you and I specifically or when we are going to be saved. We are in his hands. He has a time for each man to make his commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And every person who is in hell today went past their opportunity to be saved. God's appointed time. He has brought people in our lives and shared the good news to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And many people will procrastinate or the conviction is so uncomfortable, they go, I don't want to talk about it. I can't talk about that right now. Talk to me later. Don't even bring that subject up. Every holiday. If you're coming home, don't come in and talk anything about Jesus stuff in this house when you come home. See, what they don't understand is this is the time of salvation you don't know when your time is you go over your time of a, of, of a point in time what happens and a good example was Paul speaking to Felix about the Lord and Felix was so overwhelmed by that conviction what did he do he pushed and said Paul I don't want to hear it you can come back later and talk about it then it was too late So you and I have to have understanding of the urgency of knowing that God has an appointed time. He's working in that person's life and every time we share the gospel, every time we there, don't, if God is moving you in that direction, it might be their time. You'll see the spirit of God move and you'll see that God is all doing the work. You're just, he wants you just to partner with him in leading that person to Christ. That's why Paul was begging and saying, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't procrastinate. Don't sit there and say, oh, I'll call that person later, even though, God, I know you're putting that person on my, my mind constantly, and I'm praying for them. No, God says, go speak to them. Go speak to them. But I don't know what to say. Trust God is the one doing the work. Just partner with him. He'll give you the words to share. Just to be be, be obedient obedient to what God's called you to do. And he will do it. Then Paul continues here in verse 3. We we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Paul was willing to do almost anything to make sure he gave no offense in any of his ministry. He didn't cause any... fleshly or worldly problems within the ministry. He tried to go overboard to do whatever he could to keep the peace, to be loving, to encourage, to help people, to just live their life for Christ, to get saved. He, he says, I have given no offense of any in our ministry. There was no blaming. I, I remain blameless here. He was willing to pass up his salary as a minister of the gospel that we see in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 9, verses 3 through 15. So no one can say that he was just doing it for the money. He just needed a job. He was willing to allow others to be more prominent. He was willing to work hard and endure hardship. Paul was not afraid to offend anyone over the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw that First 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. But he would not allow his ministry of grace, the liberty in Christ, to offend anyone. I'm willing to eat whatever the food is that they give me. I'm not going to offend anybody. I'm also willing to not eat that food if it's going to offend a brother. I have no problem with that. He wanted no situation in the ministry that causes him to be blamed but of course Paul's ministry was blamed and discredited by these Corinthian Christians anyway Paul could not do anything with the false accusations that were leveled against him except he just continued to live a simple life dedicated to Christ and he lived it day by day and it didn't paralyze him because of the false accusations and everyone coming against him. He just treated everyone equal, continued to love them and continued to encourage them in their walk or to lead them to Christ. He never harbored resentment, unforgiveness in past relationships he didn't use those that that unforgiveness to to drive him to somehow get back at people he just wanted to remain blameless in doing what God's called him to do in verse 4 but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God and we're going to now see a listing of the things that Paul credits in the ministry of being remained blameless as a minister. He says, There he was a minister of God, that all of those guys who are out there doing that work, in all things, we commend ourselves as a ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations in needs, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. How did he live? What's the way in the ministry? You do it and you live doing what God's called you to do with patience, tribulation, Needs, distresses, all these are taking place in his life. That's the ministry. He highlights the way of the ministry to these Corinthian Christians to remind them that he, <coughs> this listings, so they understand how he was able to continue to live according to what God's calling them to do. And The very first one he says is patience. Pomone is the Greek word here, straightforward, simple one, that is a, the ability to sit around and wait for something to happen. No. It wasn't a patience, oh, I'm just going to sit here, Lord, I'll wait for you, and you'll move me somehow to get me to move. No, no. We're talking an active moving of endurance, of patience, of continuation, of continuing day after day, moving forward to do what God's called you to do. Best example is motherhood, is it not? Regardless of you sick ladies, you're up taking care of what God's called you to do is take care of those children. Day after day, patience, endurance that God has given you in the ministry. You're not passively sitting waiting for things to happen. No, someone else take care of my kids. Maybe the neighbors may get a clue and come help me and feed my kids today and bathe them and take care of them. <laughs> Maybe some of your prayers, but <laughs> well, auntie show up and take care of the kids today, you know. But God may send you a helper to help you, no doubt. But tribulations, needs and distresses. See, he was an apostle. He was an ambassador, an ambassador. He was a coworker with Jesus. He follows with patience, would describe why he just endured day after day after all these struggles of tribulations and these needs that were tremendous needs. He didn't have, he had just had these needs but not able to fulfill these needs. He had these distresses, these people coming against him and he was stressed out on these things. Again, God said, hey, even with that, I'm going to empower you to work through these things. Just trust me. because there's these general struggles that everyone's going to face in their life and these general struggles these trials of life are going to come without a question and even though Paul was often stressed and under great pressure and often had tremendous needs Paul continued to follow Jesus and trusting that he's going to empower him to do the work that he's called him to do. But if you notice, Paul did not put any conditions on how to serve in the ministry. I'm good if there's no conflict. Then I can do it. How long is this going to take me? If it's an hour, I might be able to give you an hour. I can do it for a season, one day. Paul didn't have any conditions on how he will serve his God. He was just being obedient to what God has called him to do, and then whatever it took, he did it. He just kept going because he knew God was going to help him. Right down to stripes and imprisonments and tumults. There's one thing having general struggles in your life. There's one thing having some trials that showed up. The hot water heater didn't work on a very cold morning. That is a test, only a test. But now you're talking stripes here. You're talking someone's beating you for what you do in the ministry, in your life. Someone's actually going to imprison you for your faith. He's going to actually... Have tumults, this angry mob's violence is going to come against you for your faith. Now that's a whole other level. Are you willing to trust in what God is going to do and use you in the ministry, even through that? Paul's saying yes. Yes, you can. Then he says, labors, sleeplessness, fastings. These are self-inflicted hardships and now he's talking about. He's talking not just the general and trials of life that happens to everybody. The popped tire in the middle of you know, a highway in the middle of a blizzard. Not just those coming so severely where you're actually getting beaten and imprisoned and mobs are ready to take your life. But Paul says... Even to the point where you even have self-inflicted hardship. You're laboring, you're sweating, you're, it's hot, it is, it's not easy work, you're carrying much weight. There's a lot of things you're trying to do, what God's called you to do. We've experienced that at the globe. We worked some very long hours, struggling, hands blisters, everything else. But we knew that was for the Lord because it's what he's called us to do and God gave us a strength through that. sleeplessness the amount of nights where things are just are racing in your head and you just can't get it to slow down. Because you're praying for someone that you, your child who's gone as a prodigal. The fact that you are being come against at work and you're sleepless nights because you don't know how to deal with it. Or fastings, not not predetermined. God called you to fast and pray for this day. We're talking absolutely not any food available. That's what he's referring to here. I just don't have food. I don't have food to eat. He served not for the money. Paul served not for recognition. Paul served not for some name recognition or in popularity to get out across the the web we cannot have any willful inconsistency with our preaching as we go out and share the good news paul is saying we must not have inconsistency between what god is co- He said to go out as an ambassador to say and how you live your life. That should become narrower and narrower and narrower in regards to our life. Yes, we're a huge chasm when we first get saved. You knew you're a wicked sinner. Clear as can be. But as you get closer and closer, Christ-likeness, that narrowness, people should not see those things in your past any longer. Because that's not who you are. That you're a child of God. You're a new creation. All things have gone away. It's as white as snow. You don't have those things. So you should be more narrow and narrow. You get closer and closer to God. And t- so whatever comes out of your mouth, people see how you live and it will match up. There's not going to be the hypocrisy. There cannot be willful inconsistency in what you say and how you live. And Paul continues, if you notice, in the first section here, in verse 4 or 5, it was in patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting. Then he switches and he says, verse 6, by purity, by knowledge. By long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, and by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. This is how my ministry was like. But I was able to do it by what? By staying pure. By the knowledge that God has given me. I was able to do it by the long suffering that God had worked in my life. By the kindness that he worked in my life. I didn't have the kindness. I, he gave me the kindness. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the sincere love he's given me for the compassion for others now. By the word of truth. By the power of God. By the protection of Of righteousness, the armor of righteousness. Am I right? Am I left? I God surrounded me by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good. It didn't matter. I continue just faithfully do what God's called me to do, and it's by that is why I was able to make it through. Those are the resources that I took advantage of and trying to work my way through the adversity of my life. That was the fruit of the Spirit that was helping me to get through the trials and the tribulations and everything I just talked about in verses 4 and 5. Because Paul certainly had trials. If you just go back and read verses 4 and 5, these are greater measure of trials in one's life than none of us have experienced. But Paul did. But here in verses 6, 7, it's even the blessings that have come in his life because of that. God has purified him. God has given him wisdom and knowledge and understanding and the power and the abilities to do things way beyond his capability. But at the end of verse 6, he says, as deceivers... Verse 8, I'm sorry, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. So Paul says here, if you notice, we went from impatience to now by purity, we are as deceivers yet true. So he's going to start giving this contrast of how people perceived him. And regardless of that, he still continued to do what God's called him to do. The world, even the worldly Corinthian Christians that Paul's writing to, described Paul in these words. Described him in dishonor. He's described him in evil report and deceivers and unknown. And he's just—he's a dead man. He's chastened. He's sorrowful. He's poor. He has nothing. See, that's how the Corinthian Christians and some of them were being deceived and coming against Paul. And we see that through First Corinthians and now so far in Second Corinthians. Yes, Paul's receiving that. Yes, you might think, you know, you're calling me a deceiver and not doing what God's calling me to do, but that's not true. I'm doing what is right and doing what is true, what God's called me. So he gives this comparison, but in God, how God sees it in this comparison Yes, the world sees them in this way, but God shows them, he shows an honor and good report and true and well-known and behold, we live and not kill and always rejoicing and making many rich, possessing all things. See, what a contrast when you're just being faithful in what God's called you to do. Paul makes a very good point that I think should be very encouraging for us. The world or good Christians that they call themselves may come and come against you and level an accusation that is not true. But God comes along and says, no, 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 you're doing exactly what I'm calling you to do and how to do it. Which voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to those in the world or are you going to listen to God? you have a choice of which voice you're going to listen to because we assure you as Paul will continue and we will see later in 2nd Corinthians if you listen to the world that is just the enemy coming against you to bring you down to make you to stop you from doing anything for God but if you will listen to the contrast of what God says about what you're doing then you'll be encouraged and you'll be like Paul and you'll continue through the adversities and testings in your life. Which voice will you be listening to? We must choose to listen to God's voice. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 gives the answer. According to the things which are seen, the world's estimation was correct. But according to the things which are not seen, those are God's estimation is correct. John 3.30 says, we must increase, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's very difficult for many. To sit there and say, I really want to more my life. I want to make big plans for my life. And i always have these plans to going up. Climb the ladder. But God's, View is a completely different. He says, "If you just be faithful, in what I've called you to do, I will lift you up." That means you're going to have to die of yourself. You're going to have to stop thinking more highly of yourself, and allow me to move you in your life, and watch what happens. And it's just so contrary to what the world teaches today. But it's right, it's good, it's praiseworthy. And that's why he says, and Paul continues in verses 11 through 13, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open." So Paul sits here with compassion in his heart. Says, "Oh Corinthians, I hope you're getting this. I hope you understand. We came with you. We spoke very openly. We had no hidden agendas. We didn't want anything from you. We didn't ask you. you had nothing to give to us. We spoke with love. We spoke truth in love. That's what Paul said and emphasized in his teachings. And I come to you. I'm just laying this out to you. I want you to understand this." We didn't put any restrictions in your walk with Christ. You were restricted. You were held down by your own affections. See, the Corinthian Christians loved to play the victim card. Paul, you're restricting us. We have liberty in Christ. We can live however we want to. What do you mean we can't do something? What do you mean that's not good or right and I can't do this or that? And they would use it against Paul and try to push him away or discredit him. But how could that happen within a Christian circle? That's always the question I always ask. How can someone who gives their life to Christ find themselves back being critically spirited, critically minded against another Christian or a leader within the church who's faithfully out there doing what God's called him to do? How could that happen? Which in this case happened to Paul all the time. But Paul's saying the real problem with you Christians there in Corinth is your own affections. It wasn't me, Paul, that did not love them enough or care for them enough. The problem was that they loved themselves too much. They loved the world too much, is what Paul is saying. You love yourself too much. You love the things of the world too much. You are engulfed by that it influences you. It drives your mentality of what you think and ponder on, where you go and what you do. And anything that in the scriptures or anything that God says not to do, it comes to a complete head moment. Instead of you yelling at God and blaming God and taking responsibility, you have a tendency, people have a tendency to shift blame and blame someone else. Kids do it all the time. And that's why Paul says, I speak to you as children. You act just like children. You won't take responsibility for your actions. You won't understand the authority of God has over your life. And you just turn around and blame your brother, your sister, or your mom, or dad, or someone else. Versus taking responsibility. Paul says it. I'm like every other man. I'm like a woman in the church. I, I'm not a robot. I, get a, I, get, I feel the pain when people come against me, Paul says. When they were causing me, telling me I was a deceiver, that actually hurt me. When they tried to stone me, that actually hurt when they didn't want me anything to do with me, even though I led them to Christ, now they wanted nothing to do with me. At the end of Paul's ministry, do you know that he was almost by himself? There was only a couple people with him. The rest of the people that he led to Christ across Asia, they weren't there with him. It's not easy. But Paul is saying, that doesn't change what I'm going to do because I'm doing what God has called me to do. He made himself vulnerable to people because Christ made himself vulnerable for you and I. That Christ-likeness to die on the cross for sinners, to serve others even though they don't get it. In verse 14, he, Paul gives us a warning. He gives them a, a warning, a hard truth. And he's going to help correct their problem. Your affections, your, your own affections. You love the world too much. You, you want the things of the world too much. So I'm going to give you a solution. So he doesn't leave, just lay it out there and say, Oh, you're so worldly. But Paul, like Paul's style, speaks open. You know, like in the Ephesians, he speaks truth and love. He says, "Here's the truth. Now I'm going to give you the love because I'm going to help you understand how you can solve this problem. And here it is. And take note. Very important verse. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I hope you have that highlighted in your Bible." I really hope you've emphasized that scripture. But just the first part of verse 14. To not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Paul's saying you have way too much, you're overboard with your affections as Corinthian Christians, way too overboard connecting with non believers. And because of your relationship with non-believers and the influence they're having in your life, it has caused you <clears throat> not to be able to reconcile even with Paul. You're having challenges mentally and physically and all the things that he's been writing to in 1 Corinthians and in the, in the second. He says here, he takes this this, this example out of Deuteronomy 22:9. And it's talking about the farmer bringing two animals together and yoking them together to do a work. But to plow the ground and to work to be able to plant, to have food, a harvest time. No farmer in his right mind would take an ox and join it together with a donkey and think, You're going to get the results you need to get in the work and the labor that you must do. Those two are unequally yoked. It will never have, let alone pull in the right direction. They will have their own mindsets. And one will influence the other. And you will not be straight. Your life will be going just like this down the path. You'll look at the thing, like, what happened to my life? Everything was going good, and then it was going really bad. And then it was going really good. Because you are involved, Paul is saying, in the things of this world. You're unequally yoked. Yes, he's referring to, yes, the marriage is the most common use of this scripture. But it's not the only. These Corinthian Christians wanted to spend more time with worldly people than with godly people. And because they spent that time with ungodly people, they began to act and look and respond like unbelievers. That's why Paul spoke to them early on in 1 Corinthians 15.33. Evil company corrupts good habits people. We all like to believe that we can be we can be around ungodly things as much as we want and that we are strong enough to ward off the influence. But you must take note of not what you think and feel but what the scripture says. You're not strong enough. You will be influenced if there's not boundaries. It needs to come back to the simple question that we saw when we studied Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Are we being conformed to this world or are we being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Yes, right from the very beginning. If there's no question, it's black and white if a person is ready to be married and they find God brings them this woman that brings this this man, that person must be a godly believer. There is no room for negotiation for anyone of someone to get married to marry a, a believer to marry a non-believer. There is no negotiation on that. Many people will come and talk to me, but Pastor he's a great guy, he's so nice, His good family, he's got a job, he has money, he has a, I know that my godliness and my family, we can win him to Christ. The scripture says you must not be unequally yoked. I, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, and they go out and do it anyway. And usually within six months to a year to two years, guess who's back in my office? What am I to do, Pastor? You won't believe what he did. You won't believe, Pastor, you won't believe what she said or she's doing. You and I must not be in positions, as Paul says, to the Corinthians and to us You must not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Not just in marriage, but also in business. You are not to go into business with someone who is a non-believer. Why? Because they don't think like you think. They're not influenced by what you're influenced by. When the Spirit says you will be honest and you will deal honestly and you will do what God has said is right and good... Your non-believing partner says, "Hey, everybody else does it. It's no big deal. We just don't pay that tax. Just let it have a double books. Don't worry about. It. I'll take over the books. You don't worry about that. You do. You're gonna have conflict." And if they are not trustworthy, if they're not being, uh, have authority of God over their life, that they, because if you don't believe God sees all, knows all, and is all powerful, and watch every word you think you do, then guess what? Then you will have a tendency to go out and do ungodly things like the world does. And I see it, I've heard it, and I've watched it time after time after time. You cannot be. In marriage or in business, unequally yoked. Because you will be influenced by that unbeliever. When we are being conformed to this world and not being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we join together with unbelievers in an ungodly way. There are two different value systems one is an honest system and one is a selfish system it gets by whatever you can get by with. you cannot compromise in this area now paul is not suggesting that christians never associate with the unbelievers he made that clear to us in first corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 through 13 But the principle here is that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And you've heard me use this analogy all the time. You are in the boat. The boat is in the water. The problem is, is when you let the water get in the boat, you're going to sink. Are you with me? You can't avoid it. You're going to have to be in the water because that's where we're at at this point in time. Until the Lord takes us home to heaven, we're in, the, we're, we're in a boat on the water. Just don't let the water get in the boat. If any water splashes in, get it out. Bail that s- stuff out as fast as you can. You don't want to sink. If the world is influencing us, it is clear we are unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this unequal yoke, this ungodly influence that you're connected with may come in the forms of a book, a movie, television show, a magazine, and even through worldly Christian friends. You must be very careful what you take through your eyes, your ears, and all your senses. Because it will influence your life. And then verse 14. For what fellowship, we we'll continue in verse 14 here. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawless? None. Righteousness and lawlessness does not mixed. You cannot have part together. What communion has light with darkness? You cannot. You have one or the other. You cannot, have, th- those they don't like mix and verse 15 and what what according has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan Christ working with Satan ain't happening or what part has a believer with an unbeliever so Paul is saying here light and darkness does not mix Christ bringing Satan into that not happening you're going to have this influence this communion with light and darkness that can't happen So what part as a believer do you think you can have non-believers come in and be yoked with you and and influence you in your walk? It cannot happen. Or you will destroy your life. It will destroy your life. Mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. It will bring you down. Verse 16. And what agreement? What deal have you signed? What promise oh i promised pastor that i would be there how many times i have heard that over the years in the ministry what agreement has the temple of god god lives inside you and you're going to bring idols into your life no that's not how it works god is not going to bring idols into his temple For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. People, you cannot go against the scriptures. God lives inside you and anytime you choose to want to bring something of ungodliness in the world into your life as an idol, you're down, man, you're going down. There's not a question about it. You're going to go down. It's only a matter of time. And Paul's weeping, he's begging these Corinthian Christians, please do not live like this. Even in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul wrote of individual Christians as being temples of God. Here he's referring to the church as a whole being the temple. And because temples are holy places and should be protected against these things that might defile the holy place. We should protect our hearts and minds as holy places before the Lord. Before you watch that. Before you do that. Before you go there. Before you allow that influence of that co-worker. Protect your mind and your heart from the things that they're about to impede into your life. You must cut it off. I understand that. I'm in the business world. I'm out there in the world like you. And people will come and try to influence me. And I have no problem saying, in my mind, if I can, and in some cases, I will say, no, I, I, that, that is not accurate. This is what I'd be willing to do. And they'll say, why? And then that gives me open opportunity to share truth with them. This is why. Because here would be the consequence if I chose your path. God is going to give you the words to respond when people are trying to influence you in an ungodly way. Or in some cases, you just get up and you run. As Joseph. He even left his, great, his favorite coat behind when that woman tried to take him down. He ran. He, God always gives you an open door to escape from the temptation that is presented to you. But don't sign an agreement. Don't make false these promises you should not be keeping because you're emotionally wrapped up like these Corinthians are. They're ro- emotionally wrapped up with these, these non-believers or these weak Christians that were just not solid in the word of God. And you must stand fast. Verse 17, therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Isaiah 52, 11 tells us how we should make the temple a holy place. We must come out of among those who are influencing you in an ungodly way. No touching. Don't touch it. But but you don't understand, Pastor. I might not get the promotion. I might not get invited to the special event. I might not be able to go where I want to go and get what I want to get. come out from among them. Don't allow them to have that kind of influence in you. God is in control of your life. He is sovereign. He is a father. As Paul says here in verse 8, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. Do you believe that you are a son or a daughter of the Almighty? Do you believe it? Do you put your entire trust with all your heart and mind, soul and strength in that? Because if you don't, ask God what or who is influencing you in this world that stops you from believing that. And separate yourself from